So this, after, this morning we'd like to continue with our series that Pastor Ian's been doing with us through the book of Thessalonians. So turn with me to the second letter of the Thessalonians, which is what we're up to this morning. And as you turn there, for those of you that are uh, diligent note-takers, or for those of you that are good, have a good memory, you'll probably recall me up here perhaps maybe a year ago if you were with us, and I preached a sermon on this exact text. And it just so happens that I was scheduled to preach this morning at Mercy Church, and we so happened came to the, the same text that I'd preached on previously. So this, this week, I've had a chance to redo the sermon again, perhaps with a different nuance, a different focus, and for that reason, the, the uh, theme in the liturgy is not quite correct. It's changed a little bit, and you'll see that as we get through the sermon. So turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses together. You know, brothers and sisters, that a visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you His gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make to you does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as one of those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory." So far from God's Word, this is the Word of the Lord. Let me just lead you in a word of prayer. Heavenly God, we come to Your Word again this morning. We all want to stand under Your Word to hear what You have to say to us. And so we pray for Your Spirit to work powerfully among us, whether it's speaking or listening. We pray that our hearts may be encouraged and that our minds may be set on fire to serve You and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to continue through the book of Thessalonica. And in a sense, what we're dealing with this morning is, a, is almost a continuation, an expansion of what was discussed last week. Pastor Ian went through the closing verses of chapter 1. And so some of the themes this morning and some of the topics that I'm going to discuss are, are somewhat similar to last week. But even in these verses, as Paul seems to go deeper into what it means to, to be a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ, I hope today that we can get a renewed appreciation of what Paul is telling us from his word. Last week, our pastor, he pulled up the vision for Mercy Church, and I just want to pull it up this morning and, and read it again to you this morning, because I think it's helpful as we discuss the sermon this morning. So Mercy Church's vision statement is this, we're a reformed church in East Hamilton that glorifies God through gospel-centered worship intentional discipleship, and the promotion of the gospel, both locally and abroad. 
And this morning, I want to zoom into what it means to be, have intentional discipleship. Intentional discipleship. And the question then is, what is a disciple? It's not a word that we would probably use very often during the week. I don't imagine many of us would have used that in our conversations at work or at home. So what exactly do we mean when we're talking about disciples or the discipleship? Well, Pastor Ian's used the last couple of weeks this, this phrase that we're not a fan of Jesus, but we're a follower of Jesus. And I think that's a helpful way to understand what it is to be a disciple. As I was reading this week into the meaning of the word disciple, one of the books that I read pointed out to me that being a disciple is more than just being a student. Often we refer to that, a disciple is a student of Jesus Christ. But the book that I was reading said a disciple is actually more than a student. Because a student just simply wants to know what the master knows. But what we have, the word that we have is a disciple, and a disciple just doesn't want to know what the master knows, but a disciple wants to be like the master. There's, there's an imitation, there's a following after doing what the master does. And so discipleship is not just being a fan of Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus, but imitating Jesus in our life, to be Christ-like. And so we want to be a church that follows Jesus. We want to be a church that glorifies Jesus. We want to be a church that makes much of Jesus. But we also want to be a church that also helps others to follow Jesus, that helps others to make much about Jesus. And in a sense, we want to be disciples of Jesus, but we also want to make disciples of Jesus for Jesus. And I think often when we think of this, we're thinking of new believers to the faith, those that are coming to Christianity and learning the basics of it. But I want to expand that this, this morning. I want to expand it to say it's not just new believers, those that come to the church. But disciples is what we do to children. When we teach our children, when we model to our children what it is to follow after Jesus. Discipleship includes the young members in our congregations through Bible study clubs, Discipleship is to help those that are struggling. It's, to help, it's what we do with friends. Discipleship is what we do with work colleagues, what we do with friends and on the soccer team, or whatever the case may be. In fact, if we were to turn to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2, there's a reference there to old women teaching younger women. And you could argue, in a sense, that's what discipleship is. It's, it's older women teaching and training younger people, younger women. And so when we talk about discipleship this morning, I want, don't want to think of necessarily only the, the new believers that are coming to us from outside the church, but I want to think of those within the church that we can disciple, those that we can walk alongside, those that we can train, and those that we can teach. Be it your parents and children, being old and young, being it within small groups or, or within families. And so this morning, as we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's going to give us an indication of what it is like to be a, a disciple but he's also going to show us what it is to make disciples. And perhaps as you think of this, you think, yeah, this is Paul, right? This is the person who wrote half the New Testament that we have. We're meant to model and imitate. Well, I love the words that Paul gives to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which is encouragement for all of us. Because Paul says there, he says, I come to you in weakness. I come to you, he says, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Another translation, the message has these words. He says, I was unsure of how to go about this. 
I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or impressed anybody else. So as you think of what it is to be a disciple, to help others, to, to make others follow Jesus, if that thought makes you quiver at the knees and you're the person that says, I don't know how, then we're in great company this morning because we're with Paul. Paul, the one who learnt this through doing it. And so this morning, I want to focus our message on this. Disciple, be one, make one. And to be a disciple demands two things from our text. It demands self-sacrifice and godly focus. And to make a disciple involves motherly love and fatherly example. Be a disciple, make one, oh, sorry, be one, and make one. So firstly, we're going to focus on Paul begins the words in our text with these words, you know, brothers and sisters. And if you were to continue reading through the first two verses, he's going to keep bringing up this phrase, you know. You know, he says, you understand, you are able to remember, aren't you? You were witnesses of how I went among you. And how was that? How was Paul amongst them? Well, he said in verses 2, we had had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you His gospel in the face of strong opposition. Pastor Ian's explained previously the context in which we find these words from Thessalonians. Paul, in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul had left Philippi where there had been a riot, where he had been beaten and kicked out of the city. And so Paul leaves from there and then he finds himself in the city of Thessalonica. And again, trouble follows him. The rioters come and they stir up anger against him And and Paul's kicked out again. And Paul says in this verse, you know that I was treated outrageously in Philippi. And as we think about that, it would have been easier for Paul as he came into Thessalonica with, with bruises and scars and still sore from the beatings. It would have been easy for him to say, God... Just stop for a minute with this pressure. I just need to to relax and chill and to recuperate. I just need a break from what's going on. He could have been cautious, perhaps doing undercover work for a little while so that he wasn't beaten, so that he wasn't followed. But instead, Paul says he does exactly the opposite. He says he speaks boldly. He speaks there, he says, with, with strong words. He has this this whole idea of a selfless attitude, self-sacrifice, continuously giving and giving again. There's those well-known words from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where where Paul says, I was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked. I'm running from everyone, from Jews and Gentiles, he says. I was hungry, I was thirsty, no sleep, I was cold and naked. Paul lists all these things that happened to him for the cause of the gospel. And perhaps you read that and say, man, Paul, why don't you just stop for a minute and take... Take a break. But Paul says, no, instead I proclaim boldly. There's a whole element of self-sacrifice with what Paul is doing. The question then is, what made Paul do that? Why was Paul willing to go such extremes to keep self-sacrificing? Well, in Philippians 3 verse 10, we have these beautiful words from Paul in Philippians 3 verse 10 where he's describing what it is, and he says in Philippians 3, verse 10, he says, I counted everything as loss for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. Everything as loss, all the troubles that he goes through, they're worthless, he says. They mean nothing. All he wants, he says in, in, that, cha- in that verse, is 
Philippians 3.10, all I want to do is, worth, is know Jesus Christ. And Paul says, that's worth it. That's worth all the suffering there is to be a disciple and accept that suffering. And Paul had a unique, Paul in, in ministry was in some ways a little unique. Because Paul was also given a task not to know about Jesus, but also to share Jesus with the others. And that's why Paul says in this verse here and in many other verses through our text, he says, my message, he says, was the gospel of Jesus Christ. We dare to tell you, he says in verse 2, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. All the self-sacrifice was worth it because he had a message to share. And the message was that of Jesus Christ. We read in Romans 1 verse 16, these, these amazing words in Romans 1 verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, to the, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Paul says, that power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore I go and I go and I go. We also read in Acts chapter 4, in the sermon by Peter, Acts chapter 4, verses 12, these, these similar words, these wonderful words, salvation. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which man must be saved. Sharing Jesus Christ is worth it. It's worth the self-sacrifice for Paul. And it's easy to look at Paul and say, Paul, you're just some type of hero that you can do all these things. Of course you can. But Paul tells the Thessalonians in this letter, and he also tells other believers, he says, you need to imitate me. And the beautiful thing that Pastor Ian focused on the last couple of weeks, that's exactly what the Thessalonians were doing. If you, if you read in the first chapter, verses 6 and 7, he's saying, he says of the Thessalonians, you became an imitators of us. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So as Paul speaks to the Thessalonians and Paul says, follow me. What Paul's really in essence saying is, follow our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate example that Paul himself is following. And so the model of self-sacrifice is not the model of Paul per se, but it's the model of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus Christ sacrificed everything for us, didn't he? In 1 Peter chapter 2, we, there's, there's a, a list there of what Jesus did. There in 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus showed us an example of selflessness. He laid down his life for others. He was reviled. He was flogged. He was beaten for us. And that happened, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. It happened so that we might also have an example to follow. Jesus Christ's example of self-sacrifice is the same example that we are called to follow. We follow Jesus as we also follow Paul and all the other Christians. And so the first essence of being a disciple is, is self-sacrifice. And if we don't self-sacrifice, if we're not willing to put ourselves second, then we have to ask ourselves, are we a disciple? Jesus addresses that exact topic in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Let me read you a few verses from Luke chapter 14, verses 25. These well-known words. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus means we have to give up of ourself. Take up the cross and follow Jesus. That's exactly the words that Diedrich Bonhoeffer had in his book. When Christ calls a man, said Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And so the question is this morning, are we those that are willing to give up of ourself? As we follow Jesus, are we willing to sacrifice all for him? What is it in your life that would prevent you from offering your life to him as a self-sacrifice? You think, you know, one of the things I think we so much value is our time. That time is ours and we protect our time so diligently. But I want to challenge us this morning. Is there aspects of our time that we can sacrifice for Jesus Christ? You see, the difference between a fan and a follower is that fans don't have to give up much to follow a team. But if you want to be a real follower, if you want to follow in their footsteps, that means you eat what they eat, you do what they do, you train what they train. And so this morning we're called, not just to be fans, but to be followers of Jesus Christ, have the attitude of self-sacrifice. And Paul continues in these verses to the second aspect. He demands a godly focus. We see that in verses 3 through to 6. In verses 3, Paul says, For the appeal that we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. He continues in verse 5, You know that we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. Verse 6 says, We're not looking for praise from people, from you or anyone else. Paul says, Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that we have to come with godly motives to this. And for Paul, that meant that as he was busy preaching, he didn't do it for personal glory. He didn't do it for popularity. He didn't do this using tricks or, or a hook and bait, a switch, whatever they call it. That's not what Paul was doing. It's not some form of false advertisement. This past week, I was looking at watching a movie called The American Gospel. Me again. You see, so often the gospel is distorted. The gospel is corrupted. We want to add to the gospel, you know, health and wealth. We want to subtract for the gospel and make it more palatable to the community and to the society that we live into. But Paul says, I didn't do any of that. I spoke the truth. He says that in verse 4, these beautiful words in verse 4. On the contrary, he says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. God's word. And so Paul says, my fundamental motive is to follow Jesus Christ as he has called it, said who he is. And again, as we think about Paul and what it means to follow the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and to, to believe it without error, Paul again is only pointing us to one greater than himself. This whole idea of focusing on God and His will, doing everything with pure motives, is exactly what our Lord and Savior did. That's exactly why He came down to do... Jesus didn't come in this world to be a man-pleaser. 
didn't come preaching a gospel that was accepted socially. Instead, he says, I come to do the will of my Father to remain pure and true. And again, I think we can apply that to our own lives, can't we? You see, if we want to be a disciple, that means make sure that we have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that we listen to what he says, that we obey what he commands, that we learn from him what to do. We need to know Jesus as our Savior, and we need to continue to grow in our relationship with him. Indeed, where else would we go except to Jesus Christ? I was reminded again as I was preparing the sermon, the words from John chapter 6. John chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but the words from John chapter 6 verse 68. Jesus here is is speaking to the disciples after many people had left him. Jesus had spoken some hard words and many left him. And Jesus says to disciples in verse 68, uh, verse 67, do you want to leave as well? And then Peter has these beautiful words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the godly focus that we have, that through Jesus Christ, in Him alone, there is eternal life. And that we need to know Him. And so as we think what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus, that means to hold on. That we remain steadfast. We need to have pure motives in what it is to follow Jesus Christ, to understand His Word. But then Paul doesn't only explain to us that we have to be a disciple, but then Paul also goes on to say that we need to make disciples. And that's the the second half of what we want to focus this morning. We need to make disciples. Paul continues in verse 7. He says, Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. This imagery of motherhood of Paul is a profound Profound imagery of what it means to make disciples. You see, caring for babies, as many of us know, takes a lot of time and energy. There's a lot of sleepless nights or up through the middle of the night, constantly feeding, constantly caring. The mother imparts her life to her child. What the mum eats and drinks, the baby's what takes it in. And as the mother struggles with health, so does the baby. Often as the mother sleeps in, then the baby's the one that suffers. So the role of the mother is really important. But take the image of the baby, for instance, that Paul's bringing out here. See, babies are not great encouragers, are they? Babies don't show much appreciation for the work of their mum. Often babies are slow to learn, and, and sometimes they're stubborn. Sometimes they have inconsistencies in development. They go forward and then go back. And that's the lesson that Paul says to us as he makes disciples. We need to have that motherly care for, for as a mother to a child. And there's a good lesson for here. We need to be patient with people and see them not as projects to be completed, but they're people that need to be loved. And so we need to think about what does it mean to walk alongside somebody with loving motherly care? Even if they don't give back to you, are we able to give and give again? And I guess there's also a warning here, isn't there? You see, the, mom, the, ba- the baby can be ill through what the mother eats and drinks. And that, that imagery is also similar to that that Paul uses using here. 
you know, as we're discipling others, if we ourselves are not eating and drinking correctly, if we're not taking God's pure word, then surely we're doing damage to those that we're discipling. So there's a call here for the mothers, as it were, for all of us here as we disciple to be busy on God's word. And then Paul continues in verse 8. He says, we cared for you so much. We loved you so much, he says in verse 8, that we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You know, it's easy for me as a, as a seminary student to think, all oh, this is about my seminary education, just about giving the gospel. How can I best present the gospel? It's easy for us here to think of discipleship programs as a way to tell them the truth about who God is, whether it's a program or a brochure. But Paul this morning comes to us and he says, discipleship is not only giving the gospel truths, but giving life. One theologian said this, he says, it is easier to teach theology than it is to love. Think about this. It's easier to teach theology than it is to love somebody. It's easier to share lists with people than to share time with people. But Paul here, Paul not only gave the message of the gospel, but he led by example. He spent time with them. He shared headaches and joys with them. Because for, for Paul, love is not just a job. Love is a way of life. And that ends the quote. Paul says here, I want to be an example for you to follow. As I give my life to disciple others, so you also give your life over with that love and care that's required to disciple others. And the beauty of this passage is what Pastor Ian pointed out last week in, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. Is the fact that the congregation that he's writing to were imitating that. That that same Holy Spirit that was working through Paul to the Thessalonians is, is that same Holy Spirit that's working through the Thessalonians to all those around him. And that's the same Holy Spirit that's also working amongst us today. As we're busy making disciples for Jesus Christ, it's that same Spirit that's working through me and through you. And Paul here is again just going to point to the greater example, the Lord Jesus Christ. You want an example of motherly love? Point to Jesus. It's Jesus who came to serve and not to be served. Jesus is the one who taught theology, he taught repentance. He taught all this, but he also lived it out. He shared the gospel of the kingdom, but he lived it out amongst the people. He shared his life with tax collectors and Roman centurions, prostitutes and, and the mentally deranged, the sick and the healthy, the beggars and the rich. Jesus spent his life with all of them, with care and nurturing, continuing to give and give again. And again, I think it's applicable for us to do. There's lessons that we can learn about how to make disciples. You know, last week, Pastor Ian quoted from Theodore Roosevelt, no one will care how much you know until they know how much you care. And in a sense, that's what Paul's saying. You need to show motherly care to these people as you continue to instruct them. And so as each of us are busy making disciples, whether that be our children, whether that be those that are younger than us, perhaps those new in the faith, 
perhaps as friends or whatever the case may be, as we continue to, to disciple those around us, we need to be busy with motherly care, continuing to give and to give. Discipleship is more than just enrolling your children into a program. It's, it's more than signing someone up to a Christianity Explorer program. It's more than giving someone a brochure or sending them a YouTube link. Discipleship is a way of life. It's giving. And again, I'm going to say it takes time. And are we as a church, are we as individuals willing to give up that time as a mother would a child to continue to invest in those around us? And Paul goes on from the example of a motherly love to the example of a father. That's the final aspect I want to focus on this text this morning. To make a disciple involves a fatherly example. When Paul uses this idea of motherhood, he's got the idea of a loving and, and cherishing idea. But now that he speaks about the father, he's going to say that there's the importance of instructing, and importance of engaging with him, the importance of modeling what it is. And we can read that in verses 9 through to 12. Let me read them with you. 1 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are a witness, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul says, I led by example. I led from the front. I led as a father would his child. So follow me, he says. And this idea of a father that Paul speaks about, it has the idea in the original of coming alongside. Come alongside your child as, as if you were to, to aid them and direct them, instruct them in what it is that you want them to know. And Paul says, yes, I gave you motherly care, but as they grew up, as they advanced, he says, I also walked with you as a father would his child. Showing Christian character and conduct. Encouraging and showing them how to live in a society. And so as we think what it is to make disciples, Paul tells us that it involves training. It involves correction. It involves walking alongside somebody. Constantly engaged and not willing to let them go. As we seek to disciple those around us, as we seek to disciple those within our family, with those in a small group, with those in the community, we need to live by example. We need to be willing to teach and willing to encourage, willing to speak into their lives hard things if necessary. You see, effective discipleship is not a program necessarily. It's about one person learning and walking with another person what it is to follow Jesus. And that takes time. I came across these beautiful words this week from a book written by J.D. Greer. It's called Gaining by Losing. And he's talking about discipleship. And he says there, Discipleship means teaching others to read the Bible the way you read it. To pray the way you pray. To tell people about Jesus the way you tell people about Jesus. If you have Christian habits in your life worth imitating, you can be a disciple maker, he says. 
It doesn't require years of training. You just teach others to follow Christ as you follow Him. And all I say is amen. That's what we want to do. We want to model people as we show ourselves to be an example. And what's the purpose of all this discipleship that we talk about? What's the purpose of our following Jesus Christ and encouraging others to follow? Well, Paul closes with these words in verse 12. He he urges us to live lives worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. The purpose of all that we do is we seek to follow Jesus as examples. And as we walk alongside others, is to seek to show them who Christ is, to conform their identity to be children of God, to help them live lives that bring honor to God and to His glory. And so we need to pray. We need to be constantly on our knees in prayer, asking that the Spirit would also work in us to be greater disciples of Jesus, but also that the Spirit would work among others who we're working with, that they too might live lives worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, Paul gives us the essentials of what it is to to be a disciple and to make a disciple. And if I I was to show you one image or one description of what that would look like, then I have an image here that perhaps displays it in the most simple way. To to, To put it simply, to be a disciple is the first two. To be a disciple is to know and to grow. To know who Jesus is and to continue to grow as you follow Him. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means self-sacrifice. It, it means knowing who Jesus is and following Him. But we're also called to, be, to make disciples, and that's the second two, to show and to go. To show others through our love, through our conduct, what it is to follow Jesus, and to go out and to make disciples for Him. And so I pray that we might be a church here that is known for to know, grow, show and go, that together... We become convicted in the gospel that we follow Jesus ourselves and and urge others to follow Him. It's my prayer, as I'm sure it is the leadership and all of us prayer, that we might be people in Hamilton who are disciples of Jesus Christ and that we also make disciples for Jesus Christ, for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly God, we come to You again in prayer. And we just want to ask for a special working of your Spirit in our midst. Lord, we pray that we may indeed become disciples of Jesus Christ, that we may be followers of Jesus Christ, that we may follow more closely who He is and what He Lord, we also pray as we continue to make disciples, whether it be our children, whether it be those in a small group or friends or new believers, we pray that you work powerfully there too. We're all broken vessels, Lord. We thank you for your spirit who is most powerful and able to convert hearts and minds. Lord, we pray for a powerful working this morning that we may be a congregation who are disciples and who continue to make disciples for the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name alone. Amen.